welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And the only place outside of a Guns N' Roses rehearsal room or dressing room that you can hear. The patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I'm at the lovely San Jose airport. Uh, listen, I uh, was making pancakes uh, last night. My wife said, what are you making pancakes for? We just had dinner. And I said, well, I'm making pancakes for the dog. She said, why are you making pancakes for the dog? I said, well, they can't make them for themselves. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's awful. And last week's was so good. Duff is... uh fallen it's funny because i sent him jokes too but he doesn't like to be sent jokes he has to come up with them himself some of them most of them are amazing and some of them are uh well like that one so anyways thanks to duff for always calling in for over oh geez almost five years now and duff and guns and roses are headlining the welcome to rockville festival in may and then hitting the road in europe this summer go see them if you have a chance it's such a great piece of rock and roll history they're all playing and singing great looking great and speaking of playing and singing great come see fozzy in just a couple weeks the save the world tour starts again on march 31st first show back is in detroit rock city we can't wait to see you we're going everywhere man connecticut new hampshire New Jersey, New York, Texas, Nevada, California, Colorado, all across the states. Get your tickets now at FozzyRock.com. And don't forget about our VIP meet and greets. They're legendary. We'll be doing those as well. We play a mini set for you, five songs, some you're not even going to hear later that night. Plus, we meet you, we greet you. All of that rock and roll amazingness is available at FozzyRock.com. Go check it out. We will see you on the road in just about a month. And get on the mailing list to book your cabin for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Four Leaf Clover. We are now setting sail February 2nd, 2023. we got a great lineup of talent joining us. And for the first time ever, we're going to our own private island. Get all the details when you sign up for the mailing list at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't you dare miss it. It is the vacation of a lifetime. All right. You know it's coming up on Sunday. AEW Revolution, that's right, Jericho versus Kingston, this Sunday, March 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern. And my guest today is not only one of the newest additions to the AEW roster, but just like Jericho and Kingston, he's got a huge match as one of the entrants in the face of the Revolution ladder match. And if you can believe this, he's been in the business for 18 years, and this is going to be his first ever ladder match. I'm talking about Keith Lee, bask in his glory. Keith has never had a ladder match, and you'll hear about how he feels about making his ladder match debut on a pay-per-view. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> Keith's also talking about his journey to AEW, what sealed the deal to get him to sign on the dotted line, so to speak, and what he hopes to accomplish now that he's here. He's also talking about his WWE and NXT career from his three failed tryouts with the WWE. They just uh, were not going to make it easy for him. To the catchphrase inspired by the late, great Dusty Rhodes, to his matches with Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, he reflects on why he believes WWE released him and all the circumstances leading up to that surprising event. We'll hear stories about his indie wrestling scene, his time at Ring of Honor and Evolve, and how that led him uh, to almost wrestling in Japan. He talks about the incredible matches and chemistry he had with uh, Donovan Dijakovic, Dijak, uh, T-Bar, including their final match, the classic that they had at PWG's Battle for Los Angeles. And Keith is getting real about his battle with COVID and the post-COVID issues he faced that almost forced him to quit wrestling. Here we go. The big man is here. Keith Lee makes his Talk as Jericho debut right now. So one of the... Uh Huge, literally, new signings in AEW over the last uh, few weeks. It seems like there's somebody new every week, but Keith Lee 
uh, was a big one for me because I've uh, seen a lot of your stuff, never actually met you before, but it's good to have you in AEW. Was this a hard decision for you to make? You know, first, let me say I'm honored. The fact that you've even seen my stuff, we'll start with that. Um, I don't think it was that hard of a decision, actually. Um, in terms of what I was looking for from freedom and, and kind of the wish to pursue other things, even outside of wrestling and in downtime. And, you know, uh, uh, by comparison, a much lighter schedule um, and just business-wise, this place made so much sense, but I think that having a couple meetings like face-to-face with Tony really helped me feel safe and a little more trusting mm-hmm. in terms of signing here. It's interesting because I, I've, I've you know, watched some of your promos and even like some of your interviews. You're, you're a very thoughtful guy. Uh, it, it seems <laughs> like you really choose your words wisely. Uh, I don't know if it's obviously intelligent, but my point is when you know what you want in a business and you know that you can do it and you're not getting that, is that something from from a mental standpoint that was getting to you, especially with WWE, because you weren't really getting the chance to be the Keith Lee that we all wanted you to be? So it's it's really hard to say in that, right? Because the reality is I got stuff that no one could dream to get, Right. You, you debut on Raw, and while it's, you know, kind of a rocky thing, music change, gear change, things of that sort, there's not a lot of people that show up brand new and get in the ring with Randy Orton, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that you know that very Good well. Point. Absolutely. So it's hard to say that I wasn't getting what I wanted. I think that to a point, I definitely did, like all the way up until having, you know, the main event of Raw and going 25, 30 minutes with McIntyre and, mm-hmm. like, just killing it. Having good times, and I felt like I was, I was, the handcuffs were a little taken off, mm-hmm. and I was allowed to have a little fun with with Drew. I think that when the COVID thing hit, and and when I went down, they had an idea of what they wanted, and as also you know, when you work at a place, you do your best to give what they ask for, and I, I also think that having a situation that is fighting death or or what have you. You're just kind of grateful to be able to do this mm-hmm. as a whole. And I think that's where I stood. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that because you had really bad COVID, right? Because, I mean, yeah. for example, I had COVID and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Other people have COVID and end up in a situation, like you mentioned, it was very bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, like, it's so unpredictable mm-hmm. is I, I have friends in which... You know, nothing happened. I have friends in which they ended up in the hospital. Right. And I would I would go very far to say they are definitely in better shape than myself. So mm. while in, in some cases we think that it's a health-related thing, science says otherwise. Mm-hmm. And in my case, I got the short end of the stick big time. Definitely had a lot of the symptoms, you know, the coughing, the fevers, the aching, the difficulty breathing, um, it being even painful to do so. Hmm. Um, I really got to the point where there were some panic attacks in terms of like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to catch this next breath. Hmm. But um, when all that passed, like I just got back in the gym and I, I was like, okay, I can lift things. I definitely felt weak. But it all started coming back very quickly, like over days. Okay. 
So it was bad when it was bad, but then once you got over it, you were fine. So I thought so, yeah, right? right? Like, uh, uh, I did an interview recently where I, I kind of, you know, I don't really talk numbers very much because I don't think that does anybody any good in the gym, but I was kind of proud in that time because I had been weak, and then by the last day of me lifting weights just happened to be chest day, and I was benching like 5'10 for Damn. a few reps. I was like, man, I'm shocked that I was able to do this coming out of COVID. Right. But, um, and then, you know, I went and had it my, at that time, last match before having to go down for a while against Riddle on that. That was a Monday 2-8, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the next day they called me and they were like, hey, there's something wrong with your blood. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, wow. Do tell. So... Uh, that was how I found out, and that was what determined me going down for the amount of time that I did. So it wasn't the COVID that took you out. It was some kind of an issue with you. It was the after effect of oh, it. So in some cases, there is the inflammation that occurs, right? And it hits everybody differently. And in my case, it didn't seem bad at first, but it got worse over time, mm -hmm. which was the scary thing for them. So, um, just the effects of COVID itself and what it did to my body while I had it. Gotcha. So it, that was the scary thing. And that's what led to all the testing and me having to stay it out for five, six months. Is that kind of what led to you? Cause you got let go from WWE, right? And yeah, last year. Right. Right. So is that, was that what led to you being kind of, I guess, let go with that's even the word that we use. Was it the five month break? Did they kind of lose faith in you in that point? Because like you mentioned, I want to talk about this. You did a lot of great stuff in WWE in a short time. Thank and you. in my opinion, I thought you were kind of a shoe in for what Vince is looking for. And we can discuss that. But was it the break that kind of led to this or what? So I wish that I had an answer yeah, for you. Gotcha. Um, the reality is um, what happened is when I was about to come back, they kind of hit me with the, the, the vision for the bear cat thing. And during that time, I was like, I don't understand what that is. I'm not sure if I'm feeling that. And they brought me back just as myself. And then, I don't know, my second match, uh, I think, yeah. So first match, lost to Lashley. Second match, lost to Cross. In the middle of the show, Vince pulls me to a room and wants to sit down and have a talk. Vince doesn't leave his show. <laughs> in the middle of Raw? Yeah, in the middle of Raw. Like He's got like <laughs> the semi and the main event coming up. He's just like, let's go chat. I'm like, wow, dude, you, you're, you're the guy on the headphones. What are you doing? But uh, it was in that conversation. He basically was like, listen, I need you to do this. I need you to be this. And I was like, I mean, listen, I work for you. So if that's what you want. That's what we're going to do. So, you know. What did he want you to do? Like, what was the vision of the Bearcat, according to Vince McMahon? So, the, the weird thing, and, and this is something I've also discussed recently, is obviously you mentioned the way that I speak, my cadence, the, the way that I seem very thoughtful about mm. how I deliver things, my choice of diction, all of those things, is something that Vince was not a fan of. Mm. Um, and to the point where he... <laughs> He literally told me, he's like, you sound too smart for your own good. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Wow. <laughs> like, what, what is that? And he just, he wanted something more grimy. And I don't know, I don't think I delivered that for him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. in, in terms, he, he wanted some intense 
guy and I think that I can be intense, but I need a reason to be intense. Mm. Like it's it's easy for me to flip a switch, but if it doesn't make sense, it's hard for me to do that. So I can't be just, and I say can't, I tried. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm very good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that, that kind of facilitated that. But I'm just not a big, angry, grunty, yelly guy. And, and I'm not that until someone makes me that. And it's usually a match that causes that mm-hmm. or a story that causes that. But when there's no competitive match that pushes me or when there's no story that gives me reason for a character to be that it's something and maybe that's what he means when he says i'm too smart it, to me it's illogical I'd, I'd like to do my best to make sense of what we're doing you know it's interesting because he said the same thing to Brody lee luke harper when when he was playing the you know the um the minion of bray wyatt kind mm. of a swamp swampy i don't know kind of a rednecky type of guy and yeah. he said the same you're, you're you're too smart for you sound too smart for this character. We wanted him to have a southern accent. He's like, dude, I'm from Rochester, New York. And he's like, well, <laughs> can you try? It's like I think the best characters are always our own personalities turned up to the hundredth degree. So it is hard to kind of play something that you might not feel because it's not you and it's kind of not gonna come across as legit in that case. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. I and, and this is like I've done weird characters like in the in my past times, you know. Like I've been a pretty boy, and I've been a like pretty a guy. boy. Oh, dude! Uh, <laughs> oh man! So there's a there's a guy named JD Griffey that wrestles on the Indies. He's been a friend of mine since 2007. Right. And he talked me into doing this because he was so good at promos, and I sucked at them. Uh-huh. And I tried this character. I come out with a, a mirror and a brush and the whole gimmick. This is the only gimmick I've ever truly had. The whole gimmick was if you messed up my waves, a switch flipped and I, I beat your ass. Like, I was pissed. Like, did you, you mess up my waves? Oh, yeah. The yeah. soul glow. <laughs> it was so bad. So bad. But it, it was fun and it was good and it yeah. kind of opened me up a little bit. He helped me out a lot. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree because the guy that gets over everywhere has never been a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally just me and, and, and an extension of me, as you say. And it's worked everywhere. And I have ideas for places I want to go. Like, years worth of material. I just haven't had a need to do it. And, and I feel like in this point in time, I need to rebrand myself like establish reestablish who and what i am um as opposed to moving on to something else so that that was a difficult time like truly like Mm -hmm. i did a lot to try i talked to myself in the mirror i made faces in the mirror i grunts different yells and screams and whatever it took to try and deliver this character and I don't know if I failed at it, but I, I think that there were certainly times where that spark was there, but it literally took me asking someone to beat me up backstage before a match really, in order for me to enter that mindset. That's interesting. Yeah. You needed to kind of feel this rage to envelop the character that Vince wanted you to portray. Yeah. I wonder, because using Bearcat, of course, we're thinking Bearcat right uh, did did was there any connection? Because I was wondering if Vince might have seen Bearcat Wright. He was what a what a character that was. You're Bearcat Lee now. So, 
This is a difficult one. So realistically, that's the first thing I thought. And I'm like, I'm very big on being myself as opposed to trying to be someone else. So it didn't make sense to me. But this is what I was asked to do. That's what I thought. Like, oh, maybe this is a homage to this this guy that was, you know, making waves back in his day. I feel like I've made waves, but if he wants me to make more, well, let's, let's go for it. And then I asked about it one day because people are asking me, where did this name come from? I'm like, hell, I don't know. I was told to be it. And I couldn't make a story for this. Like, it just didn't, it didn't resonate. So there was no directions given to you by Vince or anybody? This is what Vince wants for you, for this character, other than the conversation you had during Raw? Yeah, no. So uh, the only, well, okay, that's not true. The reality is the direction was be intense, be angry, and that's it. Mm. And so that's what I tried to facilitate. But then they would want me to cut promos similar to the way that I did before. And I'm like, but you guys have a problem with the way that I speak. And uh, How would you like this promo delivered? This is where I would like something written for me. I don't normally care for that. I prefer to go off the cuff mm. and just kind of feel it. But if this character is so far removed from what I've been doing, I would like something to tell me who and what this character is, why it exists, like where did it come from. And as much as I tried to make things in terms of story for it, either it wasn't what was asked for or I was asked to not use it anymore. And and Bearcat Wright is one of those things like don't don't reference him. And I'm like, okay, okay. So be it. <laughs> right. So be it. Well, let's talk about some of the some of the highlights of your WWE career because once again, you're a big, agile guy. I can see Vince going, okay, I can really do something with him. But you also started in NXT and had a very successful time in NXT as well. I'm yeah. assuming still under the tutelage of Hunter at the time. What was it like when you first got there? Because you were burning it up in the Indies and PWG and all these places. And then you get signed in NXT. Was it was it a stylistic change? Was it a shock at all? Or how did you fit in at the beginning? Oh, big time. Um, and I think that my personality is something that kind of threw people off at first because I'm very to myself and I'm very like laid back. And I don't really seem like what I exude out there. And I think that's okay. I feel like it's okay to turn on when it's time to turn on. But um, that actually apparently rubbed some people the wrong way when I got there. And, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, hey, how you doing? I'll shake hands and go about my business. That's as much as I feel like is needed. But, you know, some people took that as uh, maybe a disrespect or something. Perhaps what I would assume. But eventually, what, what actually changed that? Because I sat for like a year just doing random matches here and there. Really? Uh, yeah, nearly. Because I signed in 2018, right? And then I didn't really start seeing a lot of TV time until we went live on on, on cable. On Wednesday nights. Yeah. So, and that was in 2019, I believe. And, yeah, I was just kind of sitting around until one day I had a conversation with Hunter and he wanted things. And I told him, I'm like, I think there's a... Um, maybe a a difference of understanding or maybe people don't trust me here or or what have you but it's hard for me to do the things that you're asking because i'm being asked to do these other things and there are issues and 
after that conversation, it's like, listen, handcuffs are off. Just be you. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that makes things so much easier for me. So um, that made things a lot better for me mentally, um, just kind of going out there and doing what I felt. Mm-hmm. And to me, this sport is so much easier and simple than what we make it. I don't know why that is. Uh, It's really easy. (laughs) But... um, It really is, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know why we go out of our way to make it hard. But, you know, that freedom afforded me a lot of um, letting go of of some of those misunderstandings and and things of that sort. And that's what kind of led to that freedom and matches with Die Jack and kind of having creative input and thoughts and you know a build to things which is what i like mm-hmm. so yeah did you find at first or maybe were you told because you said handcuffs did they get on you at first i know they've done this to other guys where it's like, okay you're a big guy but you're very agile can you cut the uh, agility stuff and let's see more of the power stuff did you get those speeches yeah and i'm a hundred percent certain that it was some sort of a uh uh, an attempt at a, a test or, or some or such, yeah, maybe. Course, like, yeah. I wonder if he'll listen to, to what we say. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. it's guys, it doesn't have to be this complicated. But so it was. And I, and I think there was a test to see if maybe I was trustworthy or what have mm-hmm. you. And so, yeah, I stripped everything. And even even when I came back and, and did the Bearcat thing, I know we're, I'm jumping around here, but it was similar right. when I came back where they – the the double chop I've been known for they snatched that they snatched they didn't want me looking at the crowd at all interesting and I don't know it's really hard to say but I, I don't know why these things were a thing but there was no interaction for me that I was allowed to have I couldn't look at the crowd couldn't acknowledge the crowd I could only look at my opponents it was go 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 and I'm like this interesting this is not professional wrestling. Well, you know what it does too, Keith, is it causes you, causes you to be self-conscious to where can't look at the crowd, can't look at this guy, can't do this, and then suddenly you don't know who you are in the ring. And that's something very bad for a pro wrestler. <laughs> so there were moments like that, but like it's easy for me to follow directions, but if if I need to give directions in the ring because some people get lost let's be honest mm-hmm. and sometimes we ourselves do we may need to may need to talk to a ref or we may need to talk sure. to an opponent or whatever the the thing may be if i helped them delivering directions that was a problem if i took a moment to to communicate what was necessary <laughs> so that i didn't have to just ragdoll you that's an easy way for someone to get hurt mm-hmm. I understand, and I've learned it in my time being there with some of the biggest guys on the planet. Right. Obviously, that locker room size is much different than here. But even amongst that, I am abnormal, and I've I've figured it out. Me just selfishly doing what I want to do in the ring is a surefire way for someone to get hurt, and that's not a goal of mine. Mm-hmm. Like That's not a legacy I want to leave. So I try to make sure they know what's coming and that was an issue like if i if i did that maybe they thought i was looking at the crowd or maybe they thought uh you know i was lost in the moment i'm like no i'm trying to make sure that this guy knows what's going on Mm -hmm. i'm trying to give you what you want 
like they don't sell in a, in a way that's expected and I need to get them in a position they need to be or you know do things a certain way right it's it's help it's it's part of the job mm-hmm. I don't know so when you were NXT you were NXT champion yeah correct and so tell us kind of about that because that shows you at the top of the mountain in NXT and this is pre getting called up to to the main yeah. roster yeah um so it was strange because we we hit live TV. I had the series with Jack and that was something that kind of caused the liftoff. I suppose. What was his name in WWE? Was it Dijak? They call him T Bar right T-Bar, now. That's right, right. At that time, he was Dominic Dijakovic, right. but he'll always be Dijak to me. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, the guy's brilliant in mm-hmm. the ring. He's he's a freak of nature and just awesome. But. Um, after those matches, it led to little things here and there, but more more television time, and and then it led to Survivor Series 2019 with the with the thing with Roman. And you I, were on his explain that because you were on you you were in Survivor Series, you wrestled on the pay per view. So yeah, that was a weird time because <laughs> that was a day where no one knew what was going on. You got three teams of five people trying to figure out how things, <laughs> and literally up until entrances are happening, things are being like moved around. I, I'm, you have experience with this. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> in that time, in the last three, and I'm certain that it was just because I was the big guy on the team, they decided I would be the last guy, um, even though it really should have been Tampa, Champa because he was the, the leader, right? But I know they, they probably picked me just because of my size. Mm-hmm. So uh, Roman left it up to me to call the last the, the last bits of me, him, and Seth. And me and Seth had the time, and he was busy. So we, we kind of put things together. And I, it was weird coming from NXT and having to do that. But I also felt honored and kind of trusted by those guys to be able to do that. And I think it was odd for Seth to just have to do do the do the favor for me uh unexpectedly but graciously he did it and we had a good time doing it but i don't think they expected what happened with with the crowd and the response and all that stuff i don't think they expected the composure and and the control of the people because the crowd reacted favorably to to you yeah and I'll be honest, I don't think I expected that. <laughs> when you're standing in there with the, sure, that, that company, yeah, like, right. and the, and they'll they'll plug it in your brain. Like these audiences are completely different. NXT <laughs> and the main roster audience are not the same. And I'm like, cool. He's like, we got to get you over. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do what we got to do. And then their entire crowd is singing, basking his glory, <laughs> right? So they're dismay and. I think that that is something that maybe started piquing their interest for for bringing me up. But at the end of the day, like the the thing about that and the rumble with Brock and all that stuff, it was me being me. It's it's different. There's a connection there, and some connections you can't explain. Mm-hmm. I don't. I can't explain it. I'm just grateful for it, and then I try to make sure I appreciate it each time that I'm out there. It's an X factor. Certain people uh, uh, connect with characters in wrestling for no other reason other than they exist. Orange Cassidy, Jeff Hardy, you know, uh, uh, Darby Allen. They just stand there like, we like this guy. Yeah. I think you have that too. Thank you. Thank you. So 
that was quite the experience. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was an honor and a blast to participate. See, because those those are the two that I know was the Survivor Series, and then you mentioned the Royal Rumble. We'll talk about that because you did go toe to toe with Brock Lesnar, who is the biggest guy in the company, literally and figuratively. Yes, and not the most talkative of, of guys. Yeah, which which shocked <laughs> me because he's he's been he's always been so cool with me, like and. You know, it's not something you'd expect based on specific stories and what have you. And to the reality was, I didn't even know that I was in the Rumble until like two hours before the Rumble. So, so tell us, so you show up at the building just because they ask you to be there. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and you know, they bring in a bunch of people. Yeah. You just, the entire locker room's full and you're like, oh God, I don't want to be in the way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take up space from these guys that are here normally. Like <laughs> keep your back against the wall or outside the locker room or whatever. And then you find out that you're on, you're like, okay, here we go. I don't know what's going on, but then they start sorting out everything, and there's a meeting because the Rumble's basically built around Brock. And, you know, I got to chat with him and everything, and we kind of sorted things out. What was the what was the story of, of your appearance in the Rumble? So I don't really know. I know that they wanted a moment, and I think that, that moment was probably between myself and Riddle, but Riddle had heat with him at that time, so they gave it to me, and and we we didn't really make did do a lot, right? But just more of a face to face. Yeah, and it was I think that just from the walk down, and and here's the, here's what made it right. <laughs> this rumble happens, and everyone's like got these ideas, and Brock's like, yeah, cool, awesome, sure thing. And then the bell rings, and he is just chunking people. Yeah. Like, whatever you said you wanted to do doesn't matter anymore right. because either I don't remember or I don't care. Yeah. And so I'm backstage, and I'm like, oh, that's not what they said. That's not what they said. He's, oh, I'm going to have to fight him because I'm not about to lose my shit. Right, right, right. <laughs> so my walk out there, I had, like, gotten taped up because uh, Undisputed Era, like, jammed up my ankle and stuff the week prior. And I'm like, ah, I got to do this story. So I'm, like, taped up, but I'm so adrenaline hyped. Like, I'm going to have to fight this guy. I'm walking down there not selling, a sh- like, a thing. So that walk wasn't about, like, the rumble. It was about, like, I'm going to have to fight this guy. That's to get the Bearcat. <laughs> That's why. So I told people, like, the Bearcat's not far removed from who I am. Right. The Bearcat's just more relative to, like, football Keith Lee, who's out here to, like, take your life. Right. Which is different. Right. Very different. Like, sure. The way I speak, the way I carry myself, my attitude completely changes, mm-hmm. obviously. But you have to get there. Yeah. And watching him destroy people got me there very quick. <laughs> and then I get there, and it's like, no, he wants to work. Okay. We'll tone this down and make it a show. <laughs> so you can tell right off the bat, right? <laughs> you can feel it. Like, yeah. And I think it's something because he's like big selling me coming down and stuff. And I'm like, that guy just did more for me in like four seconds than just about anybody can. Mm-hmm. And I knew right then. I'm like, okay, let's make this thing last. Let's take 40 seconds and just stare at each other. I'll let him make the first move and just kind of follow from there. So it was awesome, man. Even even like Paul obviously is brilliant at what he does, and all of that made it such a special three minutes. I'm mm-hmm. like, gosh, it was planting seeds for a very big match, obviously. And I felt like him and and Roman both did that and made like potential massive massive matches for down the line. And mm-hmm. oh well. <laughs> Yeah, once again, it's very strange to me, uh, you know, and we, we've discussed it, but 
Vince went through this phase and there's quite a few guys in our locker room that came from WWE being, you know, released. And it's like, I can't believe it. Like, it's almost like a gift from like, really? Like, here you go. Here's yeah. a money-making main event guy. Just take him. So that's, that's actually a conversation Tony and I have had. Mm -hmm. uh, we were having some, some steak one day, just kind of as we were getting to know each other. And he's like, I don't get it. I want to. I want to thank them. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "You honor me, man." Really, like honestly, because not only have I had the chance to like tie up and and deal with these guys who was considered, you know, the the big guys there, and held my ground, or or even was able to stand above in those moments. Now I get the opportunity to, to to be elsewhere and see all the other biggest names in the industry. Mm -hmm. And it's such an exciting prospect to just learn from you guys and, and spend time in the locker room and kind of feel things out and see how things work here. It's all a, it's all a process, and it's it's exciting, man. What were some of the differences that you noticed when you first came to AEW? As a matter of fact, your first... Your first walk in the building it was the first time we met. So that, that was the first thing, running into you and like, you were super chill, obviously, but like in this moment, you're smiling. There's a lot of that in the locker room and I'm like, wow, people smile at work. This is awesome. This is amazing. And, and, and it's no slight because obviously you got friends there. Yeah. I have friends. There's a lot of people there I respect and I, I, I truly like love. And I, I didn't think... I would get to that point where I could say, like, cause it's hard to trust people mm -hmm. in, in the entertainment world in general, not just in wrestling. But meeting people like yourself and so many others, it's like, yeah, this is like actual brethren, which is like really cool mm -hmm. and, and very refreshing. And that was the thing here. It's just so laid back. People just hanging out, doing their thing. And they don't, you know, obviously there's stress when it comes to like live TV, but it's not like running around with chickens with their heads cut off situation. Like yeah. last week I had a segment. I didn't even know that, that I wasn't sure I even had. And they're like, Hey, do you know you got this thing? And I'm like, Nope, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> so I just, you know, I'm like, well, I'm in this. Can I just get a thing to wear? And like, okay, yeah, we're good. All right. Yeah. Go do it. But it's, it's fun and it's different. So I'm enjoying that, and obviously I've only been here for a few weeks so far, so I have more to see, but but right now, yeah, just seeing people happy is so cool to me and, and like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Well, I think one, one of the major things is that what you said earlier is that it doesn't have to be so difficult. It doesn't have to be so complicated. This is actually a very easy business to tell stories and to succeed in, and this is not a slight in WWE, just the way they do things. There's a lot of layers of... Uh, levels of government, shall we say, where it has oh, to pass boy. this, to pass that, to pass this. And sometimes by the time it gets to the boss, it's been changed so many times, you're like, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Mm -hmm. you know, And that we don't have a lot of that here, which is the big difference that I've noticed from being here for three years after being there for almost 20. Yeah, um, I think that in in the early time of my time there, it was a lot easier because all I did was talk to Vince and I didn't really deal with a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And then in those, when I came back from being sick, that's when, like, Carano was fired and other people took over. Right. And 
that whereas Carano was doing his job by himself, this guy uh, had like uh, an entire team under him now, and it was difficult to talk to people that that mattered. And I don't, I think in some cases, and there are people there that have talked about it, like writers don't even actually pitch what you have to offer story wise mm -hmm. because they're afraid to. And it just makes things so much more difficult and there's miscommunication or just zero communication. Mm -hmm. And I think in any corporation you get bits of that, but the amount that I experienced there in that short amount of time of coming back was just absurd, mm -hmm. outlandish even. A couple more things about WWE, the one thing that, that uh, I really liked about your whole presentation was that you mentioned it was Basque, Basque in his glory. Uh, <laughs> Where did that come from and kind of explain a little bit behind that? Uh, so, yeah, I uh, most people know like I had multiple tryouts with WWE where oh. I was told no. Oh, I didn't see. Well, tell us a little bit about that. I didn't know anything about it. So I had three. And three? Yeah, Gosh. believe it or not. Two of them were... easy for you. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so the first one, I was about three years into the business. This was 2008. And it's actually thanks to one Lance Archer, that that even happened because he kind of mentioned me for being an extra uh, backstage. And I came and I, I got there and I, I think they had me wrestle like 12 guys, like just to see where my wind was. Mm -hmm. And when I wrestled all of them and I was like, yeah, you got more? What's up? <laughs> they were like, can we send you to Florida? And at that time, I think it was Tampa that yeah. they were in yes. with FCW. So I had one tryout there, and I was super new. Like, obviously, three years is like nothing. It's good to, it's enough time to become a half decent wrestler. Mm -hmm. But oh my God, my ability to speak was so not there <laughs> to the point where Dusty straight up told me I sucked. So <laughs> he, he laid it out there, plain and clear, and like gave me things to try and like different uh ideas and avenues to take to try and like open up a little bit and then after that was the time in which uh my buddy jd griffey kind of helped me out trying this pretty boy gimmick like hey it's the indies who cares right so i tried different things and it helped me kind of come out of my shell a little bit um i think that part of that is like you're trying to deliver what they expect or what you think they expect and you never really know so we let that go by, and I wrestle, and, and I think I did a little football on the side um, for a little bit, and I got a call in 2011, and they're like, "We'd like to bring you in." And I'm like, "I haven't. Uh, what? I haven't wrestled in a while, like Texas." Oh, wow. So I go, and this one was also on my own. This is one that they put footage of in my the little documentary they did. And it's like, I'm, I'm battling with E and Bray Wyatt. And these guys taking time out of their day to like wrestle me. And they're trying to blow me up and they can't, but they're really <laughs> trying in these matches. Um, and then we get to the promo stuff again. And, and, you know, I, I'm like, all right, I'm ready this time. So I deliver this promo and I'm like, so proud. And like, Shine their light on me, yes. And Dusty's like, eh, better. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so basically, he's telling me I still suck. <laughs> you don't suck as much as you do. Yeah, you don't you suck just, as yeah. much. You just suck a little bit. Just a tip. <laughs> right. Just a tip. So uh, we get through that, and, and that's obviously a no again. 
2013 comes around and they're having their first tryout at the Performance Center. This was in August, I believe, 2013. And at this point, I'm feeling pretty confident. Um, I had a lot of stuff going on at that time, but I was like, let's do it. So I go, and this was an entirely different experience because they had 30-something people there, Mm. and they were trying to murder everybody. Like, it was just blow-up drills with a little bit of wrestling. Right. That's the new thing now, right? You just want to blow you up. Yeah, but I'm like... (laughs) Well, we get through all that, like, and then people are quitting and people are getting hurt. And I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, Ivar, as people know him now, has like got memories of that tryout because I sang in the middle, like, or my, my second promo, I sang a song or something, uh, that he just holds on to forever now. So it's a, his own, his own big joke to pop himself regularly when he sees me. But, um, we get through this thing and, and, I talked about this with somebody recently, and I don't know if Jr. like knew what the deal was already or whatever. But he he comes up to me and he's like, "Listen, I don't know what their decision is going to be, but I want you to know, like, regardless of what happens here, I think you're a million dollar talent." And I'm like, "Oh wow, that's great. That means a lot because I've never spoken to him before, mm-hmm. and I doubt he even remembers this conversation because right. it was literally the first and last time I really had a conversation with him." But, uh, you know, that was nice to hear. He can see the talent, though. Yeah, it meant a lot. It really did. Um, So what was the answer that day? So it turned out being no. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, come on. I'm I'm not. I'm not. You look at me and you can tell I'm not like the what you'd expect from WWE. I don't have a six pack. Like on a good day, I have four. And it doesn't make sense that I have those because I'm 350 pounds, right? So, but who can do a leapfrog? You know what I mean? Like that's a, what I don't yeah, understand. A, like they see all that leapfrogs, the mm-hmm. the up and overs, the jumping in and out the ring, the the flips and all that stuff, and it doesn't it doesn't resonate there. You know, they don't yeah. really need or want that. And, and realistically, I don't need to do those things, but. That's something I take joy of. The fact that you can do it shows that you're a very unique talent for a guy your size. And that means a lot. I appreciate that, really. So, it was no, and and, and Regal, who's kind of been my my advocate since 2008, was like, listen, man, I don't know why (laughs) they made this decision, but here's what you need to do. And that's when he's like, go out there, make a name for yourself. And he knew. I was... I was an idiot. I was ignorant. I didn't know anything about like traveling in this mm. industry or how to get around. Or I thought that all I needed was in Texas. And realistically, Texas is a black hole. Like people don't really pay a lot of attention to Texas. Like the the attentions on the East Coast, up in the, the Northeast, and and on the West Coast, mm-hmm. as far as Texas goes, there's not a lot of attention that gets placed there. So I took his uh. His, his advice and eventually 2014 I had a match with Ray Rowe who was known as Eric and that led to me getting a handshake with Ring of Honor and then I wrestled there for 18 months in Ring of Honor yeah so did you move out of Texas or were you still still a Texas just traveling bro. just Ring of Honor is mostly northeast area right yeah, yeah and we were making drives brother and like and the only reason it worked is because Ray Rowe 
was willing to lose his flight to drive with me and uh, who they asked me to tag with, which is Shane Taylor. Um, and we just, we would take these three man car rides and put these cars in like struggle mode. From Texas to Philly Tennessee, or whatever? Tennessee, Ohio, oh, wow. wherever we had to go, we were driving and, and Roe was kind enough and to And this like, is, he's of the Viking, Viking Raiders. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eric. Eric, right. Yeah. yeah. So he foregoed his flights in order to make sure we could stay booked. Oh, that's cool. Well, what a brother, right? Yeah, totally. Like, who wants to take these 18-hour rides? <laughs> Jeez, no kidding. Must <laughs> have wanted to get out of the house or something. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had fun, and, and, it, and we eventually made, made it onto their TV with a feud with uh, the, the Viking Raiders. Well, they were a war machine at that mm -hmm. time, and we had some crazy matches. Yes. And eventually it led to my last match there, which was against the Briscoes, which was like a dream match because yeah. those guys are insane as well. How was it for you going on the road for the first time? Because you mentioned you didn't really do a lot of traveling. So, yeah, it was very strange. But since it was driving, uh, it was a little easier to get acclimated to as opposed to like learning to pack for flying. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And when I did start packing for flying, I had to learn how to consolidate. <laughs> pack light, baby, pack light. Uh, so I, I learned eventually, but the truth was in 2016, while I was still working at Ring of Honor, it was one match, and it was my first time like in the way East Coast, which was Boston and Rhode Island, I believe. Maybe Connecticut and Rhode Island. I forget, but... It was a match at Beyond Wrestling, and lo and behold, my very first match with Jack, and the first time we spoke outside of, hey, how are you, gotcha. in a Ring of Honor locker room. And that match was what changed literally everything. That's how that people were talking about this rivalry at the time. Yeah, in that match, like that one match, dude, in 48 hours, my entire wrestling world was upside down. Why is that? I don't know. It seemed like there were some promoters that was there to watch the show because beyond had a they were very watched heavily watched at that time like on streaming on youtube on whatever and so sometimes promoters would go there to kind of scout talent i mm -hmm. think and that match happened and i'm thinking some promoters were there and in 48 hours dude my my pay rate had quadrupled in like a couple months and i didn't understand what was going on <laughs> everyone wants to fly me everywhere i'm like people want to fly me like <laughs> what is what is going on here <laughs> i was so confused but that's a big deal as an indie guy your first flight yeah you're right? talking after being 11 years in the business yeah <laughs> like when you look at someone like that who's gone nowhere you're like scrub like yeah. you haven't gone anywhere like what's wrong with you yeah 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 and then all of a sudden it happens. I'm like, I now understand why people get stuck in Texas. Like they don't come out here. The, the talent level is drastically different mm -hmm. in terms of like ability and match level when you get traveling on the East right. and West Coast. Right. But that was a match like even I remember not until you just mentioned it, but Keith Lee and, and Donovan Dijak, everyone was talking about that. It was Meltzer was talking about it, and the internet was talking about it. This rivalry that you guys had for just the start of it, I guess. Yeah, um, it's something that's kind of traveled the nation and and almost went international. Um, and it was our our last match on the Indies was actually at PWG because I knew Dijak wanted to work there, but mm. he he had already signed. So he was waiting to report. I was like, listen, 
get permission, I will get you into this PWG <laughs> just so we can have one last hurrah before you, you got to go, you know, straight laced and <laughs> ooga booga do everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a drag. You guys never had that on, on the national scale in WWE. You're both there at the same time. <sighs> yeah. I mean, like we had little, little forays here and there and we had our fun in NXT, but. I really thought one day he and I would would main event WrestleMania mm. and completely change the face of wrestling forever. And you know, now here we are. It's like, man, <laughs> we gotta we gotta change it somewhere else. <laughs> so, so you were talking about about your your tryouts, and we were actually this started with the Bas- Basque in his glory. So, so you do the Ring of Honor for eighteen months. You said you had your last match with Dijak and PWG. So now, finally, are you ready to maybe get this tryout? So this is the odd thing, right? Out of Ring of Honor, and the reason I left there, I signed with Evolve. And I went to Evolve, and I signed a, like a couple-year deal, I think. And Evolve was kind of like a, another Ring of Honor-level yeah, promotion, right? Like yeah, like traveling around and all yeah. that jazz, and, and it was a good little, good little spot. My very first match there was against Chris Hero, and we utterly destroyed the ring. Like, <laughs> the first thing we tried to do in the match, the top rope broke. <laughs> Later in the match, I'm like, I'm going to do this moonsault still. Second rope breaks. I'm <laughs> yes. like, okay, we got a bottom <laughs> rope. We probably should just change this whole thing. Yeah. So we just beat the living hell out of each other. So I do evolve for an amount of time that with the traveling and, and, and doing the beyond and kind of starting to go international and all that stuff – led to getting the attention of New Japan. And really, that came after like a match with Ishii. Oh, wow, okay. Who's brilliant, like so good, mm. just absurdly good. And we have a match that, gosh, that match, and I think I had a, I had a couple matches with Daisuke Sekimoto that really changed my viewpoint on wrestling. Mm. In and what way? Like... There was just such a, a meshing of theologies and the way that the wrestling's viewed, how it's performed, and that more sport approach as opposed to Texas is very much a, a show. You mm-hmm. know, it's a you punch a guy and you talk. Yeah. <laughs> this is go, man. And, yeah. and a lot of that is, you know, you get that a bit on the on the East Coast and everything, but that's a straight up sport for them. And Mm -hmm. I loved it so much. And I was like, I, yeah, that was originally where I wanted to go. So that means I need to try and get out of this evolve contract. Like I'll buy my way out. If I have to, I call Gabe because I just talked to tiger and I'm like, Hey man, um, new Japan's offering a, a thing. And, uh, it would be pretty soon from now. And I'm very interested in this. Uh, what can we do? So we have this long conversation. And he's like, I don't know if you need to do that because obviously he's trying to get in with WWE at that time. Right. So we have this conversation. He's like, uh, let me call you back. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm like looking at my contract. I'm like, how much is this going to cost me? Right. Because New Japan had a plan and that's something that's very important to me. Like they laid it out exactly what they wanted to do. It'd be perfect for New Japan. Dude, I mean, perfect. 
there's so much talent there, yeah. just like there is here. But a guy your size, you know what I mean? They love Vader. They love Bob Sapp. They love the big guys that can move. Yeah. They always have. I like. I really like. Ever since I, I didn't really start studying Japanese wrestling until like 2014, and. Yeah, I fell in love with it, so I really wanted to go and be a part of that because it was an honor just to be asked about it. Sure. So, we get through that. Two hours later, Canyon Seaman calls me. I'm like, Gabe, you sneaky son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we have this conversation, and he's like, hey, man, listen, I, I heard that you're wanting to go here, but we'd really like it if you didn't go there. And I'm like, Why? I've never talked to you. Like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. And we had this long conversation. And he's like, pitching, you know, you might take a little bit of a pay cut to start an NXT, but I think that you can make this amount of money. <laughs> and I'm like, brother, I grew up in business. Like, don't, don't try to, don't talk to me like that. Come on. I'm a grown man. <sighs> so he lays it all out there, and I'm like, I'll have to talk to you later, man. I've got to. I got to think this stuff over. So I call my father, and I'm like, "Hey, man, listen, I got a thing going on, and I'm not really sure how how I feel about it because this is the place I've always wanted to go, like for years and years and years. And then there's this place who's told me no years and years and years. Like when I started, like this was all like this is only that existed. Right? WWE is." You make it or you don't. It's like the NFL. And then you get told no three times, despite what you're capable of. And everyone around you is like, you're, you you deserve to be there. You need to be there. You, you're different, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, but you guys don't, don't own the place. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So we have the talk. And he's like, listen, son, I understand your thoughts. But if there's any time to make a move there i think it's now after you've you've failed this amount of times to go and find success and prove yourself mm -hmm. not only that but your reach could be wider because they're a global entity and i'm like i see the business side here and that's why i had to call you <laughs> to talk about this and so yeah i took a, a little bit of a pay cut because you know at that time the the people in the indies that were on top then we're all doing quite Making well. Making big money, yeah. We're doing quite yeah. well. In, in terms of, like, indie money. Sure. Um, but even with the merch and all that stuff and, and all, yeah. you know. It was easy to to break six figures if you were a top guy. And, and making your own thing. schedule completely and doing whatever you wanted to do. Being yeah. in complete control of something special, yeah. right? So get doing that was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm a baller now. <laughs> so very far from it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, by that mindset, you know, do I'm doing all right. I don't want to take this pay cut and lose, you know, X amount of money. But eventually I did and, and and with the with the I guess supposed belief in myself that I would exceed that fairly quickly and, and to be honest and fair, like eventually I did exceed what I was making on the Indies, even in NXT. But yeah, the transition to main roster was something that kinda like, oh, that's what it means to be on the main roster. Okay. As far as a financial level. Yeah. 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 And, and so, all that was a big learning process for me, to say the least. Mm -hmm. but, and then bask for your glory? 
for his glory. Basking oh yeah, glory. we totally went off. off That's the all right. Rails. No, dude, this is all great stuff. Um, so yeah, the thing with that was. That's where I meant to go after telling you about JR oh. <laughs> and Regal. Regal gave me that information, and Dusty chatted with me, and, and he told me at that time, like, listen, you're a completely different guy on the mic now. And, you know, I know I've given you shit over the years, but the guy you are now has an aura that I can bask in. And, you know, the way he talks, I can bask. I can bask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like... That's so cool to hear. I remember being told how much I suck and how much I only suck a little bit a few years ago. And he's like, take it and do what do with it what you will. And I was like, that yeah, this is like in here now. So I was like, basking my glory is gonna be the new thing. He's like, Altham. I was like, this is great. And the best thing about it is, you know, I never got to talk to Dustin about it, but one of my final bits of matches uh, was for a promotion up in the Northeast, of course, and I faced Cody. Mind you, Cody, like, <laughs> messed himself up a couple times in this match. But when the match was over, I literally took the mic and then told him this story. And, like, it was a really special moment mm -hmm. to share that with him. Like, listen, we've only talked once or twice in a locker room that we just happened to share, but... I need you to know that we are connected more than you know, and that's thanks to your father. So mm. that was a very special thing that's to get cool. to share with him. Yeah, is that something you can still use? That's, yeah, I still use. That's it. yours. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very special thing, and I do not intend to ever let it go, regardless of whether I use it or not. Mm -hmm. So last few things for you, man. Now that you're here in uh, in AW, and like you said, it's it's kind of a whole new page for you, a whole new slate. And um, what do you kind of see yourself doing in AEW? What do you want to do here? Well, man, I think that the number one thing for me was being able to keep doing this. But uh, like coupled with that, I just want to make this place grow, you know? And that's kind of my main thing. If I can be a part of, you know, something that helps this place out, then I want to be that. And selfishly, in any place I've ever been, I've never necessarily been a chosen one, per, per se. So selfishly, I like to earn my way into the top, top levels and earn the position to be in the ring with whoever the great ones are where I am. And in this case, that's people like yourself. That's people like... Uh, CM Punk and Brian Danielson and obviously the champ, Hangman, which I fought him before, mm -hmm. but I feel like he's a different guy now. Mm -hmm. You know, like we all grow in our own way. But there's a ton of people on the roster I just want to fight just because I either don't know them or I've never fought them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, for years, I, I get tweets and messages about how people want to see me against Kenny Omega. And as many locker rooms as we've shared, that's never been a thing. Wow, yeah. So... There's a lot to do, um, and you know, for whatever it's worth, it, it's an honor to to be here and get a chance to potentially do those things. But in the in the meantime, I just kind of have to get in where I fit in and make the most of what I do do in the meantime. And you know, in time, I'm sure there'll be some sort of growth where opportunities arrive. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking right now, the big face of the Revolution ladder match. Have you been in a ladder match before? <laughs> so this is the greatest, like. 
Yeah, this is this is the most unexpected thing, maybe <laughs> that. Okay, let's just backtrack. We're in March, as of you know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. February made eighteen years for me doing this, and I have never had a ladder match. <laughs> I can tell you, I've watched you in some ladder matches, yeah. and they're terrifying. Yes. I've seen you have some falls. I'm like, oh, his ass cheeks. Like, I don't oh, know. Oh, you remember that one? Oh, absolutely. I got violated by a ladder once. <laughs> Anally probed, shall we say. I was like, eh, well, yeah. here we go. Yeah. I think that um, realistically, I'm, I'm excited as well as nervous. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what match I have, I think that I can bring something that's like different and, and maybe never seen before just because of my mindset about wrestling and my ability to pick up lots of things at once or human beings and throw them. Like <laughs> <laughs> I think there'll be a different dichotomy to this match. Potentially. We'll see. You know, uh, I agree. I agree. At the end of the day, the God of that match is the ladder itself. Yeah, so <laughs> it bites you, man. It bites you. Beware. <laughs> Last question for you, Keith, what's your favorite match that you ever had? If you have to pick just one or two. Ooh, that's tough. Match itself, I think it's a tie, man. I think it's a tie between like a match where I know I did too much and I still had a blast, and that was me and Dijak at Battle of Los Angeles 2017. We went 22 minutes, easily seven minutes over time, and I still had <laughs> two or three matches to do after that. Mm-hmm. But that match was a special one as his last on the indies and, and just – what it represented in terms of what big guys can do in the ring. Right, right. And then it's the same person, Dijak at Portland, Oregon, take over. Um, and that was in the beginning of 2020. It's just, yeah, that match itself was like the culmination and maybe like a, a, a thing that's expected for what we wanted to build toward. Like, here's a taste of what could be a thing in WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And so I, I that guy brings something different out of me. And I think there are a few others that do it or can do it. And I'm looking forward to exploring what those matches are like as well. Well, dude, I'm looking forward to seeing them. And it's uh, a blast having here. Congratulations. And I can't wait for all of us to bask in your glory. I'm basking it right now. No, he's not. I'm basking, baby. I'm basking. <laughs> basking, baby. <laughs>